0: To Rebecca McKendry. I began working at Fangoria as an intern over 15 years ago and I spent most of my time with the company working as the director of marketing. When Fangoria shuttered its doors in 2016 I was devastated and over the next few years I went on to get a PhD entirely focused in horror and cult media and began working as a professor focusing in horror and film as well as a co-host of Blumhouse's Shockwaves podcast. In 2008 when Fangoria was resurrected with a new staff and a new fervor I was once again asked to join the Fangoria family, this time as a podcast host, and it is my great pleasure to welcome you all to Nightmare University. This episode is brought to you by Fangoria Magazine. Fangoria Magazine is back in a deluxe 100-page quarterly edition. Each issue includes set visits, deep dives, new discovery, and minimal ads, all printed on collectible-grade paper stock that reimagines the classic magazine for a 2019 audience. You'll see familiar names like Mike Gingold and Tony Timpone. And you'll see bylines that will make your eyeballs pop out of your head, like Barbara Crampton and S. Craig Zoller. And the best part, it's in print only. Go to Fangoria.com to subscribe today. That's Fangoria.com. This episode of Nightmare University is also brought to you by Diabolic DVD. For over 15 years, Diabolic DVD has been the source for cult, horror, and weird cinema to customers all around the world. Diabolic offers a one-stop shopping experience for all your favorite labels, including Arrow, Synapse, Vinegar Syndrome, Severin, Mondo Macabro, Blue Underground, 88, and many more from all corners of the globe. Whether you're looking for the definitive version of Suspiria or trying to upgrade your crusty old DVD of Cannibal Holocaust, Diabolic DVD is the owner-operated small business choice for all of the demented discs you have been craving. Visit them online at DiabolicDVD.com. Welcome to Nightmare University on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My guest tonight is Jared Rivett. Hello. Who I have known forever. Yes. We do horror, Dead Right Horror Trivia together. We co-host that. And it's awesome. So if you find yourself in Los Angeles on the third Thursday of every month, please come join us at Dead Right Horror Trivia. That's right. Um, but Jared, across the board, the reason he co-hosts with me is he's just kind of a, a horror uh, expert, dare oh, wow. I say. Oh, thank you. I know, no, I'm big word. Big I'm already word.
1: blushing. We're, we're two, two seconds in and I'm already blushing.
0: So, and I asked Jared, knowing <laughs> that I wanted him to come on, I asked him kind of what is um, a very niche topic of horror that you've already, that you've always wanted to discuss? Mm-hmm. And you went with um, a very niche topic, specifically yes. five films. Tell yeah. us about it.
1: Uh, I was always fascinated by by this, I'll call it an escalation. I don't really know what to call it, but there was this era in the mid to late 70s where there were a bunch of haunted house movies that all became a uh, kind of influential. Like they they ended up kind of everybody that made paranormal stuff, ghost stuff, haunted house stuff from then forward would basically be ripping off or borrowing from or you know, being inspired by one of these five movies, if not all five of these movies. And
0: they're still incredibly influential today. To to
1: this day. Mm -hmm. And also that they kind of influenced each other. And I'm guessing ways that were unconscious, maybe just zeitgeist, maybe just something in the air. Yeah. Maybe they were ripping each other off. I don't know. It's interesting. Um, But also that all five of them are considered... So it's between 1976 and 1982. And all five of them are considered like absolute classics like gold standards of the haunted house film mm-hmm. all of them completely yeah and yet they and they all came out in this little six-year span and they're all considered kind of classics and so I was always fascinated by that not you know because I love haunted house movies completely absolutely love them I think that I love slasher movies but I think I like haunted house movies a little bit more and I think it's the all bets are off anything goes Kind of thing.
0: I'm inclined to agree with that, Um, and I know how much you love slashers. So hearing you say uh, Mm -hmm. that—that's a big statement from Jared. (laughs) Um, Haunted house movies have always kind of been my bag, um, partially because I don't believe in ghosts, which everyone's kind of, you know. But you love horror movies; you're supposed to believe in ghosts. I have never had anything even remotely supernatural happen to me in any capacity. So. I have never believed in anything even remotely supernatural, but I want to. It's, I want to believe. It's
1: Interesting, because we both we're both creatives. We both work in the industry. We both, you know, uh, uh, write horror films and we write horror fiction and we work on productions and we we make things that scare people, mm-hmm. and we work in horror trivia. And so everybody assumes, strangely enough, I think the normals all assume that we're into paranormal stuff, that we're into ghost stuff, that we yep. run around with. Ghost hunters and and uh, you know that kind of stuff. We don't. No. Um, I don't believe in that stuff really at all. I know. Because I've never seen any proof of it. Yeah,
0: and that's it. And I am, you know. I must confess I am a huge skeptic even when people are telling me paranormal stories. Yeah. about You know, my, my my cousin were using the Ouija board and then this crazy shit happened. I'm right. like, sure it sure did. It did. Um, but I really want to believe And that said, I find haunted house films to be some of the most terrifying for me personally, um, because the idea that I am in, um, the place that I feel most comfortable and it's like you said, all bets are off. Like it's completely uncontrollable. Shit is out of control. It's things that I can't explain or understand and at that point, there's no rationale. Like, I feel like if it is a slasher, right. I stand some chance right. of like grabbing the golf club and pounding his eyeball till he gets detached. It's, Retinas. It's, I don't know what to do a, with a ghost. At the
1: end of the day, it's a guy in a mask with a knife. Mm-hmm. But with ghosts, with supernatural stuff, there are no rules. You don't know what it's going to do, it can do anything. And I like that these five movies in particular kind of figured that out and progress it, there is a, a progression of how much all bets are off how much you can do and show and um how crazy that can get and how, how out of control that can get and that you can be thrust into something at the drop of a hat uh in the blink of an eye that is beyond your ability to comprehend and absolutely terrifying
0: And, you know, um, before we jump into kind of this little enclave of film, let's go back to the origin. Because haunted house stories honestly have not changed that much since we first started seeing them in like the late 1700s and mid 1800s. Mm -hmm. Um, And kind of what people consider to be the quintessential haunted house stories would still kind of be like the fall of the House of Usher setup of this giant decrepit gothic looking mansion and that the people inside are kind of going just as decrepit and falling apart mentally just as much as the actual mansion is Mm -hmm. and that is still a lot of what we see with the haunted house stories that things are falling apart the house is always kind of in disrepair it's cavernous you can't keep track of what's going on in all the different rooms at one time right and then people start mentally falling apart within that
1: right, and then you the usual trappings uh of the story, and this is something that we 'll get into when we get into what we 're talking about were gothic they were big, they were castles, mm-hmm. they were mansions, they were these large manses, you know they were these big places that were romantic that were something that was outside of the scope of uh, you know the casual readers you know most people reading the mm-hmm. stories probably did not live in those places or get to visit those places and that was always kind of a trope of the haunted house story for
0: Forever, Centuries. I would actually say up until 1982, right. um, kind of the last film that we're going to put on the list, mm-hmm. um, which you can probably already figure out with 1982, <laughs> um, was one of the first ones when I really remember seeing it kind of rooted in right. the suburbs. Right. And then um, I think that we continue to reinforce that. And I don't remember seeing like a haunted apartment or anything like that right. until much, much later.
1: Right. And even when you get, so if you get into film, if you get into cinema, then you start getting into the same. Same tropes. So what's interesting is when you look at the old dark house or you look at the haunting or uh, 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 your fa- house on haunted hill or mm-hmm, any mm-hmm. of those, you see the same deal. It's some big place far secluded far away. Yep. And it's something that people are going to to either, uh, you know, get some payday to spend the night or to do research or because some horrible thing happened or you know, but it's not. Or
0: Vincent Price is there. The Vincent Price is there and has just married you, and, or and,
1: and or his wife has died, and you're going to go yes. find out because the you know the wife was someone you were uh, uh, related to, and or it's
0: just him and his weird cat. Yeah, and really dusty furniture, exa- and, and
1: and usually like a housekeeper, a creepy housekeeper. Um, but yeah, so that trope remained um all the way through the the fifties and sixties, mm-hmm. and there are some class the uh, the innocence, which is the adaptation oh, Turn of so the good. Screw. Yeah. Um, you know, that's an amazing movie, but the same deal. She's a governess, you know, she comes to, to babysit these two kids, this, these well off rich kids, these, these, you know, one percenters. Yeah. Um, that's where I,
0: I equate house. the others kind of most directly coming from. Absolutely. Is, oh, it's like, it feels like a remake of the innocence. Oh,
1: totally. Totally. The others has influence from some of our, some of the movies in our, mm-hmm. our discussion as well today. Um, but yeah, so that's the, that's the thing is that you see that all the way up to, Basically, the, sh- the change starts to happen. But what you really do see is that I think the last word on that, and it isn't the last word because there were still plenty of them, um, wound up being uh, Legend of Hell House. Yes. Which was the Richard Matheson, it was Richard Matheson's screenplay based on Richard Matheson's book. And I think like most things in modern horror, we can kind of thank Richard Matheson. For the seed of it, no matter yes. whether it's I Am Legend or, or you know is it Twilight Zone or anything that he worked on, it seems like he
0: hashtag Richard Matheson. Yeah. Did
1: it. yeah oh my God. And so you know, Legends of Hell Legend of Hell House is a, a, another big mansion movie where there's a a parapsychologist and his wife, and there's a medium, and uh, and they all go there to get. There's a rich rich old guy who wants to know if there is proof of the afterlife. He wants mm-hmm. them to come back with proof of the afterlife, and so they go to this old you know, decrepit mansion. Great, great movie. Terrifying. Really scary. The stakes and the scare quotient uh, are being raised. And you get things like ectoplasm and you get things like possession and there's some very sexualized stuff going on in there. But at the end of the day, it's still... The, you know, there's, there's literally a black cat cry. They have these establishing shots of the wall of the, how the gates of the house and the black cat comes into frame and and then goes trotting off.
0: Even with the filming and the cinematography, it still feels very old school. It still feels very, very classic. Hollywood style of filmmaking, correct? Um, in this very kind of decrepit mansion set, mm-hmm. again very dusty. You mm-hmm. know, the professor still kind of being the the hoity. Yeah. Um, the Se- there
1: of- there is secret doors. Yes. I mean, it's it's still the same old stuff. This is nineteen seventy three, I think. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's like it's still that.
0: I wonder what year the other was. Um, the little bucolic 72. one. seventy two. So that one, that one kind of pushed it a love another way, and but right. that one doesn't feel like a ghost story for much of it. Like, right. it feels a little bit different. Well, because if
1: you spoil it, you know that it's yeah. kind of really not. But, you know, but been, a, lot of, a lot of ghost movies that you would yeah. find out at the end, that yeah. kind of Scooby-Doo thing where you would find out that it was actually something rational. Old Man
0: Withers been dead Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: exactly. There, so, you end yeah. up finding out that they're, you know, old Dark House. It's like, well, there wasn't anything really there. Yeah. You know.
0: So that one feels a little bit different, but that said, it's not a haunted house movie. It's right. more of kind of a, a mix of a ghost story. Right. So we've got Legend of Hell House coming out in the early seventies, right. and then out of really kind of out of nowhere, because it does feel so contemporary, nineteen seventy six, we have the first film of what we'll call this little cycle, sure. and that's Burnt Offerings.
1: Right. Now, before the one thing that I will say that should be marked before that, and I think that it's the beginning of the shift is The Exorcist.
0: Oh, yeah. Now,
1: The Exorcist is not a haunted house movie per se, but it was so in your face with the special effects. And the special effects were photo believable. There is nothing. I mean, we now can see some strings and stuff because high definition is too too pristine, and we can see too much of the frame.
0: Yeah, that head spinning looks a little too right.
1: Stiff. <laughs> but from you, if you go to Robert Wise and The Haunting, or you go to uh, uh, you know Legend of Hell House, or any of these movies where it's the implied, mm-hmm. it's the things that you don't see, and then The Exorcist is suddenly like, no, 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 let's just show it. Let's just have things levitating. Let's just have demons. Let's have walls cracking, and you know things floating. Um, and so that changes that, that comes in, kicks the door down. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, okay, now we have to up the game. People have been freaked out. And so the bar gets raised. And so burnt offerings, burnt offerings is probably of the five. It's probably the most underrated.
0: I think. And I consider it to be quite possibly one of the scariest. Oh,
1: absolutely. It's um, great.
0: It's terrifying.
1: Yeah, and I, I think if anybody listening needs to kind of rediscover, unfortunately we're going to have to we're going to have to spoil it
0: like, Yeah. there's, there's things about the them. ending that
1: in order to discuss it, but it really is the most underrated and it is something that you should seek out and I feel like it is the it might be the most well, no. You know what? I'm not going to say the way I, I I I won't make a blanket statement that, that it's the most influential, but it definitely has a huge amount of influence on not just the future of haunted house movies going forward, but on the other four movies. Mm-hmm.
0: And what's sad, time. this one made the least, yeah. um, box office-wise. Like, an yes. Offerings only made 1.5. Yeah.
1: yeah. This yeah, is yeah. directed
0: by Dan Curtis, Dan Curtis. Who's, like, legendary.
1: But I think it's also, it, my, I didn't actually look this up, but I think, if my memory serves, it's his last theatrical movie mm-hmm. everything he was he was a tv god he yes. was he was huge on television he, he was a tv horror god he had mm-hmm. done dark shadows he had done the the two night stalker uh tv movies
0: and so many other just made for tv movies. yeah so when a you trilogy look at of terror TV, and yeah. all that stuff i mean um, he was dead the, of the night ma- yeah, yeah
1: yeah oh god, dead of night's yeah. fantastic uh dead of night has the kid uh from uh burnt offerings mm-hmm. is in Bobby. He's in the the the, the best, the best segment of of Dead of Night, yeah. which is terrifying. And he's he looks exactly the same. I'm guessing it was only like a year or two later. It might have even mm-hmm. been right after Burnt Offerings. But Burnt Offerings was um it was an adaptation of a book and uh and I wrote I have all my little notes here. Let's see. It's an adaptation of a book and yes so you get Karen Black, Oliver Reed. And Burgess Meredith and Betty Davis.
0: Yeah. So the whole cast across the board is it, just amazing. Top notch. And this was like key point Betty Davis kind of like exploitationy moment, right? Where she was still a great actress, but definitely brought this creepy persona to the screen as soon as she walked on.
1: Right, 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 right. So you get the impression that they that they're the Rolf family, and you get the impression that they are lower middle class, and that they're maybe struggling and living in the city, and that Karen Black is the the mom and the mm-hmm. wife. And that she's very unhappy. Like, she doesn't like city life. And something is drawing her to... We don't even really find out how they found out about this this living arrangement. But it's basically they're going to spend the summer renting this gigantic mansion.
0: It's like a villa in the middle of nowhere. In the middle of
1: nowhere. And it's the same... It's it's the house. The building itself was the... uh, funeral parlor from Phantasm 1. Oh wow. So this big giant, if you've seen it, it's this big giant house. And so they go and they meet Burgess Meredith and uh, his sister, um, who's played by Eileen Heckert, And uh, the Allardyces.
0: The Allardyces. Such a good name.
1: it's $900 for them to uh, basically live there from uh, July 1st to Labor Day. Mm -hmm. So they're only going to be there for two months. I've never understood the the, the period. But it's kind of like The Shining in that way because they are just going to be spending a brief amount of time in this place. And Karen Black is basically drawn to it right away. Like, and,
0: but she has a job. Like, they're not just being paid to stay there. Like They have to. Okay, they have I've, to take care of this woman, um, yes. Mother Allardyce, who is this elderly woman who yep. lives in the attic. Right. And part of the stipulations of them staying there is that the family is going away for two months. But Mother Allardyce is, she's wheelchair bound. She's not well enough to travel with them. So they need just somebody to come bring her meals three times a day. Like, she doesn't really like right. to be around anybody. She doesn't want to come downstairs or hang out with the kids by the pool. Right. She just wants to stay up in the attic but Karen has to bring her three meals a day.
1: Right, right. It's, it's basically like you won't, you won't even know she's there is basically yeah. something that they say. And, uh, and then Oliver Reed is very skeptical of the whole thing, but the, the idea there is uh, what about taking care of the house? And they tell him the house will take care of itself.
0: Well, that's gothic.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And the weird thing about everything that they say in that first scene is they're telling you everything that's going to happen in these double entendres, but you don't realize it. But what we also then find out, I mean, so Mrs. Allardyce, who we never see up in the attic, has all these photographs and they're all in her mantle, and they go back for generations. In fact, there's a graveyard on the property that is all, they're all Allardyces. They're all just the family from the from the house, that lived in the house. But dad points out that none of them go past the year, I think it's 1890. Mm-hmm. So what that means is no Allardyces have died, or at least been buried in the family graveyard on the property since 1890. So you're starting to get a sense of like, okay, well, something's really creepy going on here. And then Betty Davis uh, starts to have her stuff going on.
0: So burnt offerings by far the least known out of all of them. Um, So that one comes out in 1976. Mm Mm-hmm. Three years later, we get Amityville Horror, which is an AIP film. This comes out in July of 1979, directed by Stuart Rosenberg. Yes, this one makes a ton, not quite as much as the fifth film on the cycle, no, um, but, but it huge. makes more than The Shining. Oh
1: yeah, um, yeah. So
0: this one makes 86.5 million dollars mm-hmm. at the time that this came out. The novel was incredibly well-known. Huge. Um, everyone was familiar with it. And so this was a huge release gigantic. that everyone was super excited about getting. Um, you got the mixed.
1: book. You've got uh, James Brolin and Margot mm-hmm. Kidder. Margot Kidder's coming off of Superman. Yeah. James Brolin was a huge star when this movie came out. It wasn't like he was a star on the rise. Like, he was gigantic when this movie came out.
0: So this one... Um, what, I mean, there's been many, many debates and even some documentaries made about whether oh, or not absolutely. it's actually real yeah. or follows the story. We could do
1: a whole podcast just about that. But
0: that said, this goes on to establish some of the things that I think we then be kind of came known as formula for the Haunted House films. Big which time. is Family Moves In, which we establish in Burnt Offerings, but Family Moves In... Um, things begin to escalate slowly, but we then see flying furniture and things right. like that. Walls bleeding, yes. the ghost or the, the house actually talking or having a voice yes. and things like that. Yep. And then specifically parent going completely, you know, off is, the deep end. Is
1: daddy going to kill us with an axe?
0: Yes. Which and
1: will come up again later in other another movie in yes. our list. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you have, and then, on top of all of that, it has every single uh, kind of uh, traditional backstory for why a house would be haunted. Mm-hmm. So you have the murders that happened the year before, one year ago to the day, you know, with the, and, and the guy the that Defeos. killed now the, the guy that killed his whole family in the house the year before, is dad gonna do it? And what's what who he doesn't have a gun, he has an axe, okay. Uh, it's on an Indian burial ground and in this case it is indeed on an so Indian burial ground. Jared
0: pointed this out to me a couple of years yes, ago. Yes, wrote an we article have, about it. Yeah, he wrote an article um, for me when I was at Blumhouse about this that we have this wonderful, somehow blind spot yes. as a society where Mandela we all effect. think the Mandela effect. Yep. We all think that Poltergeist, that the whole plot behind Poltergeist is that the house is built on an Indian burial ground. Yep. That is not true not in any true. capacity. If you go back false. and watch Poltergeist, yep. they never say Indian burial nope. ground. Nope. I think that it's they a They make lot a joke.
1: Yep. About it, the fact that it's not—they
0: make, yeah—they yep. make a joke because they're yes. referencing Amityville. Yes. It is built on a cemetery, yes. where you know you moved the the headstones, but not the bodies. Right. But it is not built on an Indian burial no. ground. And I think that people make that weird crossover because by the time we get into part two and three,
1: You've, there's Native the American Indian, characters. Yeah, yeah, the Native yeah. American oh, yeah. shows up. No, and then it gets it's, even it gets weird. But I think that honestly, it, a lot of it has to do with Amityville Horror and with uh, another movie that'll be we'll talk about in a mm-hmm. second but Amityville has so okay so you've got murders in the house uh, a year before you've got the Native American burial ground where and we're told uh, what's in, Helen Shaver's character tells us it's not just that it was an Indian burial ground it was where they would uh, uh, keep people from the tribe who had gone insane they would tie them to trees and let them die and then they would come back and bury them so they're insane Indian burial ground <laughs> Uh you have the bleeding walls. You have the get out. You have the imagine the creepy imaginary friends.
0: What the weird pit. Vortex. You, there's in the a basement.
1: there's a well under so wells under the so house. We
0: find the hidden room, a hidden room uh, with a well with a well, mm-hmm. which is like the vortex to another world. Yep,
1: yep. Um, Which there's becomes a, a thing. There's a backstory that's also given in the movie that there was a guy named John Ketchum who was a war, supposedly a warlock who fled the Salem witch trials, made it as far as Long Island and built a house, not this house, but built a house on the spot that the house in Amityville now occupies.
0: And then we've also got the room of flies. The room of Flies. The Antichrist, Room yep. of Flies. Yep. And it's kind
1: of a religious, there's a whole exorcist angle. Now, it's yep. not an exorcist ripoff per se, but there is a religious exorcist angle to the point where there is a kind of shop-worn detective who's been, you know, been everywhere and seen everything, who's poking around just like Lieutenant Kinderman from The Exorcist mm-hmm. and he tries to talk to the priest like there's this whole exorcist subplot that's going and on. And the priest
0: is like, get out of the house. Yeah, 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 Send something. Right. So we've got Native American. Yep. Sorry, insane It's Native a grocery Americans. list. We've got, yeah, this whole grocery <laughs> list and somehow the <laughs> devil is also there. Yes. Um, so whatever it is, this movie literally throws everything against everything. the wall all at once. Yep. Somehow it's functional and almost <laughs> enjoyable.
1: Uh, it's it's still effective. I showed it to my girlfriend this weekend, and she got creeped out. Wow. Yeah, I was surprised because she was really not. She knew that we were. I was watching everything and making notes and watching everything seventeen times. And I said, you know, the one that I've seen the least in this case actually is the Amityville Horror. I'd like mm-hmm. to watch it again before we record the uh, the the podcast. And so we watched it, and she, hadn't, she couldn't remember whether she'd seen it all the way through or not. But it creeped her out. Mm. And I was surprised, and she was surprised. Um, because there's a lot of goofy stuff in it. I mean, you've got Brolin in his tidy whiteies, and yes, you've got uh, that crazy mirror in the in the be- bedroom, oh, which yeah, has got where the he gold... just like
0: stares at himself and yeah, yes. turns his head back and forth for a while, which might be the <laughs> origin of the mirror gag, <laughs> Who right knows? there, right,
1: right, right. Um, and then, but the thing that Stephen King pointed out in uh, *Dance Macabre* that I've always loved about uh, Amityville, that, that for me, the, the weirdest scene in the movie, and it's the movie that kind of exemplifies the whole thing, is that the uh, the scene with Margot Kidder's little brother who's getting married, and he is paranoid. He keeps counting and recounting the cash. He has $1,500 in his breast pocket mm-hmm. for the caterer at his wedding. It's the day of the wedding. They're all dressed in their, uh, uh, you know, they're all dressed up. And uh, uh, tuxedos and whatnot. And George looks like shit and he's clearly not feeling well. George lets the, the dad, James Brolin's character.
0: May or may not kill his family with the act. May, hey,
1: when is daddy gonna kill us with the act? Yep. And the money, while he puts his coat over the couch, the back of the couch, and he hugs Marco Kidder and he's talking to George, and then he goes to once again uh, count it, you know, and it's gone. And he freaks out and George says, don't worry, I'll give the caterer a check. The, che- the caterer has demanded it only be cash. And you can tell that, so A, George is just kind of rational and saying, well, the money's in the cushion somewhere, it's underneath the, ca- we'll find it, we, we, I will cover the, You know, the money will be here when we get home, I will give the guy a check, it's fine. Mm-hmm. You know that he can't cover that check. And you know that they can't actually afford this house that they've moved into, that they, they've dumped everything. This is the difference between the moving, the visiting the haunted house temporarily and burnt offerings, where they're only going to be there for it's nine hundred bucks for two months. This is something that they've sunk all of their money into, yep. and so that scene is kind of the the symbol. And it's weird because it's not blood coming out of the walls. It's not Jody the pig imaginary friend. It's not the the the, the, the babysitter locked in the closet. Happens in the middle of all this, mm-hmm. but the scene where we realize that they can't leave because they have dumped everything they own. But it's also about that promise that's been made to American couples and American families from the baby boomer generation. You're going to own a house. Yep. You're going to have 2.5 kids and you're going to you know, live happily ever after. And they move into this house and it's a nightmare the it's got something against priests and nuns the, the the nun leaves and vomits and the priest gets sick and he has the get out get the fantastic the terrifying get out yeah. get out thing that happens with the with the the thing hitting the you know, open the door opening in the voice but it's about financial ruin it's about buying a house and not actually being able to afford it
0: and we see a little of this come back in the conjuring where mm-hmm. they have sunk everything into the house yeah And literally are just kind of stuck there and they're all sleeping in the living room because they can't do anything. Right. They can't go anywhere.
1: But it's the beginning of this kind of um, reaction to the 70s in the haunted house film because you're going to see it in two of the other ones Mm -hmm. on the list as well. But... um, but there's so much. So
0: it's really an interesting turn because the 50s yeah. and 60s were all about, I'll call it Prosperity. upward mobility. Yeah. It's all like, look at my blender and my washer yeah. and our TV dinners and our beautiful five. And
1: dad, you know, was, the, dad was the, the breadwinner. And he went out, he had one job and he had a home. And he had kids and he had a wife and she got to, you know, she was a homemaker, Mm
0: -hmm. you know. And now suddenly some of these post-war films were starting to see the idea of, you know what, we can't pay the bills. We can't afford this. And where's our piece of the pie that we've been promised?
1: So the Amityville house is the ultimate symbol of the thing that you can't actually afford. But on so once you get into all of the kind of politics of that and get past it into the scary stuff and the horror stuff, so we have a, a, a little girl who's talking to an imaginary friend. Mm-hmm. And she's creeping everybody out with all of her stuff because it's kind of prescient. And, and, uh, and then now the when is daddy going to kill us with an axe thing, he's, he's constantly cold. George is constantly cold. And he's chopping wood. He's constantly chopping wood. And he's got firewood for years, but he keeps chopping wood. And there is, in fact, in Amityville Horror, a scene where the kids are hiding in the bathroom And George comes with the axe and starts chopping the bathroom door down. Yes. Now, it's for an entirely different reason. There's There's a misunderstanding about he thinks that Jody the pig is upstairs. And they think that he's coming to kill them because that's what it's been building up to this whole time. Oh, I'm coming apart. Oh, my God. I'm coming apart. So he's got the axe and he's coming up. But Dad comes upstairs with an axe and starts... They're in the, the bathroom it's not even like it's a bedroom or or the dining i mean it's the bathroom it's the same scene from the shining and you can't the shining was being shot mm-hmm. at this time like, so there's
0: no way to predict
1: that. no and so i don't know now the shining the book came out before the amityville horror Does the the Shining, book.
0: the book have the bathroom
1: no and it doesn't have an accident either. He has a rogue mallet. He's You're a right. Wall. Yeah,
0: the crook and the mallet.
1: So where you know, and again, the medieval horrors. And I well,
0: maybe it is the idea of being trapped. I, I mean, I don't the know. idea of what is the safest room in your house. Many of us, I think, would say the bathroom right. because it seems you know. It's the one room that, like, you can lock, mm-hmm. and you feel kind of confined in there. Um, but,
1: but the trope of Daddy coming, you know, the house is influencing somebody, and for and then Burn Offerings has the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mom starts to get very devious. There's a scene in Burn Offerings where she, uh, Oliver Reed, turns to Karen Black and says, can we leave? Would you be, would you, be, you know, do you see that bad things are happening? Davy almost dies at one point. Yep in burnt offerings in the house and says, I think we should leave. And she says, we can't leave. She's completely part of the house Mm -hmm. now at that point. And so she says, no, no, we can go back to what we had. And she says, we had nothing. And it's a really interesting moment. And then in Amityville Horror, Kathy says that she thinks that they should leave. And George says, you're the one that wanted a house. So this is it. And it's this, 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 and then The Shining has the same yep. scene where she goes to him and says, "I really think Look, we need we'll to leave. take Danny out this of is here." What we have. And he says, "You know, oh, we, what, we signed I could a contract. We really, signed a contract. People are relying right, on right, on right, right." That. And he has that other. And he, the first time, that's the second time. The first time they have the conversation, he says, "I could, I could really make, uh, uh, write my own ticket. Now I yeah. could shovel out driveways and work in a car wash." But he refuses to leave. So there's three movies in this cycle. We've given away what one of the other ones is. Mm-hmm. Uh, not like anybody hasn't figured it out already. Uh, where they try to convince the uh, spouse that's become one with the house to leave. And they are a flat no. Yeah. For different reasons. But it's just because of the influence, the evil influence of the house. And in Burn Offerings, it seems like she, once she becomes one with the house, she wants everybody dead. In Amityville Horror it seems as so you have literally the, da- the 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 setup is this guy killed his family in this house and you still want to move in okay now you're going to be the one that's going to want to kill your family in the house yes so that carries over into later stuff as well but it's a really uh yeah it's it's a, like i said it's it's kind of a hodgepodge it's a it's a big you know i mean there is a nightmare sequence in Amityville Horror where uh, Margot Kidder comes into one of the bedrooms and he has Killed the daughter with an axe already, but it's a nightmare.
0: Now that's one thing that I would consider a trope that we see in, I would say most of these, which is the idea of kind of the waking dream. right? The Is this really happening? Okay, it's probably not, but we get this wonderful waking dream of like, right. what the hell's going on? Right. Um, so less than a year after Amityville Horror, we yes. have The Changeling come out. Yes. And this one, um, it's Canadian film from yep. Associated Film Distro, comes out in March of 1980, directed by Peter Maddock. Mm-hmm. Um, this one only did five million at the box office, mm-hmm. which Makes sense. It's a small film yeah. um, that was that was made in Canada. Yeah. This one, um, though I love it, mm-hmm. I've admittedly always found this one the hardest one to get through because it is a slow burn. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. Yeah. This one for me, like I love it. And the few times that I've like watched it in a theater, I'm like, oh, this is tight. But for much of it, yeah. I'm kind of like, it's like watching George C. Scott kind of run from room to room right. um, fret. But um <laughs> but the setup of it is great. Although yeah. I must say he does the absolute last thing in the world i would do in this situation move into a
1: big giant house yeah so yeah. his
0: um his wife and his daughter have died in a car accident yeah right?
1: terrible, terrible um, car accident
0: but so to recover from his grief he's a writer i think composer composer thank you um, he's taken
1: a professorship uh, in seattle
0: yes and so he has decided um to move into a freaking massive completely desolate place that has not been inhabited in 12 years um, to kind of, Renovate it like it feels like he's cleaning it up. He a lot finds
1: out that he the reason that that no one the reason that it hasn't been lived in is because no one can live in it. That yeah. that there ends up it ends up being that there's just the disturbances that follow are drive everybody away.
0: And the place is massive, which is always Huge. my thing. I'm always like, if you know, when D- I live by myself, yeah. the the times in my life when I've lived by myself, yeah. I want one room. Yeah, maybe
1: two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah.
0: because I want to keep an eye on everything. Yeah, this,
1: he's got rooms. He she never goes in yeah uh, when when Trish Vanderveer who plays uh, his, his George C. Scott's real-life wife who plays um, Claire the the woman that shows him the place the first thing she says to him is that they were going to turn it into a museum so if that gives you any sense of the scope and scale, it's kind of like The Overlook. Yeah. And it shot like The Overlook. And again, it shot like The Overlook before The Shining came out. And The Shining came out two months later, three months later. So there is no foul. Yeah. There's nothing to be. No one is can be blamed for ripping anybody off in this instance.
0: But it, it just feels really grandiose. And then we get a lot of George C. Scott by himself in the house kind of Hearing things. Yes. And gr- then the mystery, once the mystery kicks yeah. in, I'm completely so, all in.
1: The mystery stuff is complemented by, I think, some of the individual, like, scariest set pieces mm-hmm. ever. And people still to this day rip off all. I rip, I will sh- freely admit that I rip them off in all, every script that I've written because they are absolutely terrifying. But it should be pointed out that, like Amityville, the Changeling is actually based on a true story, supposedly. That, um, they didn't advertise it that way. And I don't know why they didn't, because I didn't Amityville... didn't know that. Yeah, it was so huge.
0: And that seems like a good marketing concept. Oh,
1: absolutely. So, but the weird... So I won't get into the whole true story, except to tell you that it starts with the relocation of a cemetery where they left the bodies.
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow.
1: So that's where it starts, And then it kind of goes on from there. But just about everything that happens in the movie, the major stuff that happens in the movie, supposedly really did happen to this uh, composer uh, who is given story by credit. But they didn't advertise it as a true story. And that was really interesting. I don't know if Medic just decided, like, hey, look, I don't want to have to stick, you know, Amityville, it's like, well, Amityville has this third act problem where it actually kind of like they're setting up that the priest and the detective might actually kind of compare notes and be able to kind of go and defeat the evil. But that just goes away. It never happens. They just disappear from the movie. Um, And so it's because, well, what really happened is they just abandoned the house in the middle of the night. So this one, I don't know if he he wants to have like a because there is a resolution to the mystery, a very satisfying resolution to the mystery that Mm is, you know,
0: beautifully executed. It ties up. So the whole concept to give you the quick version is that um, George C. Scott moves into this house. He starts having these um, crazy supernatural occurrences happening. Um, Finds a secret
1: room with a wheelchair for a little boy.
0: And what he eventually discovers is that this little boy um, lived in the house and supposedly died at a young age, but then he uncovers that this kid maybe lived a lot longer than they thought. Well, it's a um, changeling. It yes. is
1: someone that has taken his place. Yes. Because he was going to inherit a lot of money, and dad was being skipped over. And if he died, he was gonna. it was all going to go to charity. So he murders his son and find someone and they go off to Europe or Switzerland and they come back with, you know, 10 years later with their son and who's going to know the difference.
0: And it gets a little bit more complicated from that. But let's just say that there is a death that occurs somewhere in here. And then that is the being haunting the house. And so George C. Scott at that point goes on kind of, we'll call it a ring-ish journey.
1: Very much so. He,
0: he goes and he's like, okay, well we have to find the body because yes. if we can find the, the body. And the body is at, at, the, bottom the, rest, well at the bottom of a well that's under a house. They yes. have to
1: tear the floorboards out to get to the well to dig to get to the bones.
0: Exactly. That um,
1: there's also a scene in this movie where George C. Scott finds a bathroom where he hears dripping water. And when he goes into the bathroom, he finds a dead person in the bathtub, the bathtub that isn't really there. Yes, and then he backs slowly out of the bathroom, terrified, and backs up into the camera so it blacks out the frame. Now Jack doesn't do that in The Shining, but he does virtually the same thing. He finds a dead person yep. in a bathtub, and he just leaves the room and backs never out. goes, never goes, you know, never goes back. And it's um, weird
0: because a lot of the set pieces um, that you see in The Changeling are paced. Oh, very God. similarly yes. to the way that the Overlook is shot, the yes. way that even just the movie itself is shot, where we're starting right. out with these grand tracking shots and, yeah. and the whole vastness of the environment, yep. and then the way that the scares are set up, it really does feel like The Shining. But it could not have been because literally, The Changeling came out in March of 1980. The Shining came out in May of 1980. Yeah. They were being shot or simultaneously. June or
1: July or something. Yes, yeah. no, it's months late. It's a couple months later, and so it's impossible. But then, so the so the, I mean, you've got all these great scares and all this great. Uh, atmosphere in in the changeling and i mean uh, you can't if you're a horror person you haven't seen the changeling shame on you but the red bouncing ball
0: oh gosh yeah
1: which is just nightmare fuel and you would think like okay well what is the how i always try to find what is a way to make something scary that couldn't possibly be scary
0: and any type of kid's toy like that right. by itself yes. without motivation will always do it. A but ball this, rolls into the but, room. Yeah. A toy truck rolls across right, the room. Right, 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 right. right. a balloon.
1: Right. But the ball is so fascinating because of another movie, which we'll be talking about soon, where a ball also kind of comes out of nowhere and, and does things. But so the setup with the bouncing ball scene is, and apparently this was part of the true story, um... That George C. Scott hears this thumping. Now the thumping is this consistent thing. The, the thumping happens every day at six in the morning. Mm-hmm. It's not you know like the three fifteen in the Amityville house, but every day at six in the morning, there's this pounding, and he can't figure out where it's coming from. They go and check the boiler. It's not the it's not the pipes, um, and so it turns out what it is is this red ball that is bouncing down the stairs. So at one point, George C. Scott hears it bouncing, and he goes and and out into the hallway, and he sees it kind of bounce down the stairs. So he's freaked out by it, and he takes the ball, and he gets in the car, and he does what any of us would do. He drives out to the nearest bridge where there's a river, and he throws it in the water. And he gets home, and he takes his coat off, and something just fell over in the room, as we said. That.
0: Both of us just freaked because something <laughs> fell, and we were both just suddenly like, What
1: was that? Oh, that was good.
0: That was crazy. That was like our supernatural experience. Yes, Jared. there we go.
1: And we wish we had some infrared uh, camera to capture it all.
0: I didn't even see what fell.
1: So, oh, George, George C., who, by the way, is like fearless the whole movie, which is the one difference, I think, in all of these movies. He's like, he is complete. He's such a, he's got so much gravitas, and he's so ballsy and Yay! so. You George can, C. Scott. Yeah,
0: he's scared, but you can always tell that he's equally intrigued.
1: Right. So he comes home, he puts hangs his coat up, closes the foyer door, and looks up the staircase, and that fucking ball comes bouncing down the staircase, yep. and that shivers down the spine, and they do this split diopter thing where it rolls into the he's in the background it's and the things in the foreground. It's amazing. It's incredible. So those moments and then the wheelchair chasing people around. And I mean, it's it's just one of those to me. It's kind of like the ultimate. uh, Oh, there it was again.
0: Yeah. I don't even know what that is. We're hearing noises. It's crazy.
1: Oh, (laughs) for me, it's like the ultimate uh, haunted house movie for me. I, I, I and I love all of these as haunted house movies and i love other movies on, on this list more mm-hmm. but the changeling to me is like if you want to scare the shit out of people and you want to know all the techniques if you want to study the techniques of how to scare people the changeling
0: Now, this one I always find intriguing when we're thinking of it, and kind of the other haunted house films coming out around this time, because it is just one dude in the house by himself, right? And a couple other people will come in and step out, like you know. Right. Well, he actually brings in paranormal. Yeah, paranormal. He he brings in. Yeah, they
1: have a séance, and the séance scene has been ripped off and borrowed and and I mean we've seen that in everything yes. since then. that that's exact there's a spirit writing thing she's got oh the,
0: yeah that the is, pencil
1: and she just runs the pencil around it. I mean that's
0: it's the quintessential kind of exorcism yeah. scene that if you have not seen the changeling you have still seen this scene just mm-hmm. because it gets picked up in so much stuff right even if you've seen like the insidious films you right. have seen this same right scene. they've got
1: EVP he's got, he gets the voice on the reel-to-reel recorder I mean, it's definitely all of the all of the freaky uh, tropes that we have come to know when you bring in the paranormal experts. Because mm-hmm. he really just wants to figure this thing out. And then, yes, the ring with the, the all well. the remains end up at the bottom of the well.
0: So then we move. Just a couple of months later, we move into The Shining, and mm-hmm. this is Stanley Kubrick put up by Warner Brothers forty five million dollars at the box office. Right. Um, and this one even though that i i mean i don't think that it was stealing from any of these films at this point nope. we see a lot of the same, same stuff brought over it's and wild. over and some of this I would say you know obviously is from the Stephen King book that you know right. there was this kind of financial desperation right. that they were taking this job because Jack couldn't find anything else to do and this seemed to be their only opportunity the isolation was set up of course right the ghosts of the thing the idea that the prior character there was a murder murdered b- murder in the house family. beforehand right exactly um, so a lot of this has been set up but what yeah. I think that we see um, that is kind of uncanny is that a lot of the shots and presentations that are not not in the original novel right. kind of come uh to fruition on screen and it's things that we've seen in these other films very recently. Really
1: strange. Um, really, it, really weird. And
0: it couldn't be that he was watching them because nope. they were all shooting simultaneously. Oh, yeah. No, and I parts. mean, he
1: was such an obsessive. Yeah. I mean, he was a perfectionist and he was designing those shots and designing that movie for so Completely. long. Completely. And they were shooting it all the while that the Amityville Horror was in post and being shot and, and being released. And Changeling was going. So there's no way. There's no way. And I mean, you know, and then it is. It's all that. And the the, the Overlook has the same deal. The, the, you find out that the Overlook was Built over an Indian burial ground. Uh there's you we know We were
0: obsessed with Indian
1: burial grounds in the late 70s. Yes. They
0: were just everywhere. Yes. Except for the movie that we think that <laughs> is happening <laughs> right. yet. There is no Native American burial ground no.
1: in Poltergeist. No, no, but there is one in The Shining. And uh, you know, you've got uh he's there. so again they're gonna go and they're gonna spend five months living in this place, and it's to you know, the the Presumption is that they're going to have to basically keep the be, be housekeepers, mm-hmm. be be custodians, and make sure the place is, you know, ke- kept up uh, over the winter, which is you know uh, a little similar to the uh, the burnt offerings thing. And Jack, you know, the different I mean, we we could you know uh, the controversial stuff we will not get into the whole book versus movie thing. We'll just talk about the movie. Yeah. But you know, I mean, Jack hates his wife and hates his kid. He hates them from minute one. Yeah. And, and we
0: find out that he's been hating them.
1: Yeah, he's been writing All Work and No Play Makes Jack a Dull Boy from the day, from the he, day he gets there. Yeah. The day he starts, he puts paper in the in the typewriter. So, I mean, he, he hates them and wants to kill them anyway. Um, so the place is just kind of bringing that to the fore. Mm-hmm. But we're warned ahead of time that there was someone 10 years ago who, did you know, the, the guy that had your job 10 years ago killed his family with an axe. So when is daddy going to kill us? With an axe.
0: And we once again see the ball rolling. There's the ball. We once again see the, <laughs> the woman bathtub. in the bathtub. The,
1: the dead person in the bathtub.
0: So these, these same kind of um, things that we imaginary now can, friends. Imaginary friends. These creepy imaginary friends. Um, we now kind of see these quintessential horror uh, haunted house trips coming up. Yep. And then we have a couple year break before we move into Poltergeist MGM in June of 1982, directed. By Toby Hooper with yes. a strong hand from Spielberg. I'm Brilliant. assuming
1: that, um, we'll, we'll skip the controversy. That's controversy. So we'll, so We're we'll not this, getting there. The Stephen King versus the uh, Kubrick's *The Shining*. We'll skip the Toby Hooper. My 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 feelings are very widely known, which is that I worked with Toby Hooper for two years on a project and we became very close. And uh, Toby Hooper absolutely, definitively directed *Poltergeist*. He did so under the very astute and uh, totally. overbearing yeah. hand of Steven Spielberg, yeah. who had written the screenplay and was the producer and was just kind of, he was, he was too involved. Think of it as kind of a George Lucas movie directed by somebody else,
0: or Richard Marquand or Ron Howard. So that said, I mean, they, they both had a hand in it, yes. but um, that said, it turned out absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. This one by far made the most out of any of them at $122 million. Huge. Um, became kind of controversial in its own right, for being a PG movie and this is one of the ones that really kind of marked the turn. Yes. um, We start moving towards the PG-13. Because it's really fucked up for a PG movie. I
1: saw it in the theater. I was 10.
0: I remember my parents running it for me and I was maybe six or seven at the time. Now
1: I had already seen by this point on cable I had seen The Changeling and I had seen the Shining and Amityville. I hadn't seen Burnt Offerings yet. So I was definitely kind of ready. The Shining really messed me up when I was a kid on cable. But then my dad was like, oh, Poltergeist, did Spielberg, and it's PG, so mm-hmm. we'll go see that one.
0: Now, the Poltergeist movie, um, for me, represents kind of a shift. And you can yes. tell me if you agree with this. We have had Burnt Offerings, Amityville, The Changeling, and The Shining. Mm-hmm. Even though that all four of these have kids in them, yes. I feel like the majority of the horror and our protagonists... Are all embodied within adults. These sure. are adult movies about adult problems, financial yeah. struggles, things like that. Yes. With Poltergeist, I feel like even though that we're still getting the adults' perspective, mm-hmm. I feel like the bulk of the movie is centered on Carol Anne and her brother, and so we oh, yeah. see a good bit more of the horror through them than we do through the kids and the other four.
1: But I think that we see... But I think that it's Steve and and Diane, mostly. Poltergeist is a feminist horror film, and it's about Diane, and then it's about Diane and Dr. Lesh, and then it's about Diane, Dr. Lesh, and Tangina. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because Carol Ann disappears from the movie halfway through and doesn't come back for a really long time. And
0: I guess we do. And then Robbie gets
1: sent away, too. Robbie
0: gets sent away, and then we do have a good percentage of The Shining happening from um, Danny's perspective.
1: Well, you know what's interesting about why I'm I re-watching The Shining for this podcast, something I had never really noticed before, and I insist that every time I watch The Shining, I notice something new, and I don't think there are very many horror movies that you can do that with.
0: I, I agree Or with movies
1: that. that you can do that with. Jack and Danny don't have a whole lot of screen time together mm-hmm. um, and when they get to the Overlook they have almost none. They have one scene where Danny comes in and tries to convince he has this conversation. He tries to feel out dad to see if dad's having the same kind of visions that he is and if he's, you know, do you feel like it's okay here and then Jack says I want to stay here forever and ever and ever which is the same words that the twins use and so he, Danny knows that dad is now one with the with the hotel. But the thing about it that I I had never really realized, they really only have like three or four scenes together, and then by the end he's just chasing him through the maze. But even then, they're not together at that point yeah. either. But it's it's basically Danny alone, or Danny with Wendy, or Jack with Wendy, or Jack alone, or Jack with Grady, or Jack mm-hmm. with Lloyd the bartender. But the, I had never really noticed that. So the whole thing is that there's there's nobody's communicating in The Shining. Wendy is you know is kind of stuck in the middle Jack is seeing things he's not telling them he throws Danny under the bus at one point there was no one in room 237 what are you talking about and Danny is seeing things and he's not telling them he can't tell them he doesn't know how to tell them um so it's an interesting thing the perspective of the kids in these movies and then yeah the kids in Amityville are all other than the little creepy little girl Almost props.
0: Yeah, I was gonna I can't even remember. I remember Jody. Yeah. But I don't remember the kids in Amityville yeah. There's the one I kid that gets the, the window
1: pane smashed mm-hmm. on his fingers.
0: But in poster right. guys, for some reason, I remember the kids the a lot. The kids, oh yeah, yeah, they stand out. And they, um, the terrors are almost, or at least the hauntings are almost rooted within their minds. Like yes. we see the tree or the haunted clown. Yes. Um, or Petey, uh, the bird dying. Right, um, right, right. At right. the very beginning. Tweety, yeah, yeah. Tweety, and thank the, you. But the,
1: and, the, and the room full of toys. Yeah. And the room full of Star Wars toys, which is a big, you know, I think that when you had The Exorcist in Star Wars where special effects yes. are beefing up. And this is the this is where Poltergeist kind of sets the bar, and then it stays there for mm-hmm. a really long time. Is that you suddenly between Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark? Hey, we can do these things now. We can show these things now.
0: Let's make things float. Yeah, that whole stream of right. ghosty ectoplasm. Ectoplasm is the, when, she, when she
1: reaches out to touch the TV, and this, the the animated ghost hand comes out, yeah. and then the the beam comes out, and the ghosts download into the wall of the house. You know. Uh, So the special effects are now showing everything in Poltergeist that the other movies and most haunted house movies prior to this would only imply Mm -hmm. or that they couldn't afford to show. But or but it was always it's like Jaws. It's one of these things where it's like, well, if you don't show it, it's scarier. So if Robert Wise in The Haunting shows you a breathing door, then that is the most terrifying thing. You never see what's behind the breathing yep. door. You just see this door that's kind of you know inhaling and exhaling, and that's terrifying. But now we can show, we can fling the door open, and there's a big, giant, monstrous Monster-y thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um,
0: yeah, you and, know. and actually now that, when I was a kid, because I'd seen Poltergeist, it scared the shit out of me. Yeah. But now looking back, if you had to ask me which one of these is scariest, I would probably say shining or burnt offerings. I would not point to the poltergeist.
1: Right, right. Poltergeist is almost kind of comforting.
0: It is. It's like, <laughs> it's like a comfort watch food this movie. Bedtime.
1: Yeah, seriously. Fine. And you have Joe, oh, and you have Jerry Goldsmith. Wait, my favorite. Jerry Goldsmith my favorite composer. Uh, poltergeist is my favorite Jerry Goldsmith score. Mm-hmm. The movie starts with uh, not doesn't start with uh, after the opening scene with the the Carol Ann coming downstairs, the neighborhood montage, uh, the lullaby.
0: Oh, yeah. Which is very
1: similar Uh, to the Amityville horror Lalo Schifrin lullaby, which, you know, then you have the music box stuff.
0: Bright Offerings Music
1: Box. Bright Offerings Music Box. The Changeling Music Box. Changeling has a music box we didn't mention, but the music box is a huge plot point in the Changeling. Yep. And you go back to like the innocence where I don't know where lullabies and ghost movies because you also
0: see it in Rosemary's Baby, which is exactly. not exactly a ghost movie, no, but, but it serves it's the, the same of, purpose. It does. It's
1: creepy and un- unnerving, even though it's supposed to be something soothing that is supposed to help a, a small AA baby yeah. or an infant and fall asleep. And it's still
0: very um, confined yeah. within her apartment for right. the most part. Right, right, right. Um, and so yeah, this this whole idea of the music box, which we then see come up in The Conjuring, mm-hmm. I, like it's now become kind of a trope of. Right haunted house movies they oh, yeah. will have, you have, to have oh one. the creepy music box of course right right you so, have
1: yeah. to have one you have yeah. to have one and the other element of this i guess you know when you talk about the 70s stuff is that now we're in 1982 and so uh, steve and Diane freeling and the they're they're yuppies
0: yeah, and it, they established this is in Orange County, which yep. um, for those people not in L.A. is definitely a very upwardly mobile. Like now it's mm-hmm. viewed as kind of like it's it's a nice, it's a very nice place yeah. to live.
1: It's a tract housing development in the yeah. suburbs.
0: And um, so they're in Orange County. We're once again establishing that this is a very recent subdivision because mm-hmm. we see that the subdivision is still being completed, right. that they have just moved in, and right. that this is well, a really nice house.
1: Carolyn was born in the house mm-hmm. and she's six or she's five. Yeah. So they've been there at least five years, which is the there's a lot of really kind of why now as as screenwriters, whenever you're kind of like why is this happening now? now. I don't really know exactly why she it's happening now. She touched the TV. She starts to kind of have the ability to communicate with them when through the TV. I don't. know. But They're know.
0: establishing that parts of the subdivision are still being oh yeah held. yeah F- there's, fa- there's phase one phase and phase one two and, and phase four yeah. and all that stuff. And yeah, because uh, then we get into the well, you you know, move the headstones, but not right
1: the bodies, but they're, they're but they're yuppies, and Steve not only was. They they were the first family to move into Cuesta Verde, which is the name of the place. And Carol Ann was born in the house. But Steve now sells the good life. Mm-hmm. He is and fully believes in what he's doing. He he. There's a scene where he's trying to convince those people to buy the house that looks just like They do a dissolve from Steve's kitchen to this kitchen in this home in phase four. And this couple comes in and they're kind of like, well, you know, this seems kind of samey and everything. It looks like the, the, you know, and the grass grows greener on every side. He makes a joke, but he believes in it. And so, when the betrayal happens, when he finds out that his company moved the house, it's devastating to mm-hmm. him because he believed this is the America. He's living the dream, you know. And he goes out and sells it to other people, and he's digging a swimming pool. And the swimming pool is this is the symbol. And of course, you have the scary swimming pool, which was in burnt offerings.
0: It was obvious They dug up Petey. That, that was the catalyst. That's what it is. That's what Tweety. it is. Tweety, Tweety.
1: Yeah. Now, see the thing is, so I had read uh, a really great uh, uh, article, kind of breaking down Poltergeist, and they said, well, because they're digging the pool, the 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 moment that the bulldozer breaks ground on the pool is 24 minutes into the movie. So
0: it's at the exact moment of new information. It's
1: new information, but they have not been digging yet. In fact, they dig Tweety up. The Tweety is in the, the cigar, cigar box, box. Yeah. And the cigar box goes tumbling out when the with the first scoop of Earth. But that Earth. said
0: she's been talking to the television yes. prior than that yes. twenty four minute mark.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not that worried about why it's happening now because it's a fucking I amazing need catalyst.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. It's but it wonderful.
1: is but they have two point five kids. And they are, you know, pot smoking Reagan. He's reading Reagan's uh, biography uh, at bed while they're smoking pot. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and she was, she's thirty two, and their eldest daughter, daughter is Dana, is sixteen. It's like. Hmm, okay, there was a little accident there somewhere, but they've made it's it work. An interesting
0: and, thing to include. Yeah. Um, like it's we get a lot of information about the family yeah, in this.
1: Yeah, but you get it you get it in weird little doses mm-hmm. and you get it mostly from brilliant execution of performance and script where yeah. you just kind of see that Diane has way more control over the house and way more going on and is paying way more attention to everything than Steve. Steve's completely Steve has his buddies come over to play football. Steve has his job. Steve is completely checked out. And
0: she's the first one to definitely notice that there is something amiss. Oh, even she if more than notices the chairs moving around. She, and starts, she starts having a ball with it. She, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's,
1: she's having a blast with it. She's having an absolute blast with it. It's, it's a great... She thinks it's awesome. Yeah. You know, she's not scared by it at all.
0: So these five movies together. Now, hmm. after that, um, after Poltergeist, dare I venture to say... Um, We don't see haunted house films for a while. They kind of fall off in the 80s in lieu of kind of what we consider the 80s. Like slashers take over and we see a lot of creature features and things kind of blow up and get big 80s Mm. style. But do we see a lot of haunted house movies after that point?
1: Well, here's the thing. There's a couple things that happen. First of all, you get, in 84, you get Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. And Ghostbusters takes Poltergeist and blows it up and parodies. And
0: makes it fun. Yeah,
1: but yeah. the same level of special effects are being used, and now it's being used for fun. It's being used as this big, crazy thing. I feel like Poltergeist's influence was more of an aesthetic thing than a ripping off. There's a, There are Poltergeist rip-offs. There definitely are. You oh, look yeah. at House and you look at some of these other movies. There's well, lots House, of Well, House,
0: again, is a comedy. The yes. way that you would usually consider it um, historically is that The end of a cycle is when we either spoof it or go comedic with it. Right, Um, right, So as soon as, you know, we start making fun of The Ring and The Grudge, thus ends the Japanese remake. So as soon as we start making fun of the slasher films, thus ends, you know, that's when we see slasher start peering down.
1: it gets weirder because Amityville 3D is a poltergeist ripoff. Yes. And (laughs) what I think you start to see is that there are, and there are poltergeist sequels, and there's The Gate I
0: don't know if I consider the gate a haunted house movie. I would equate that into like the satanic panic movies. But it's got a bunch but, of
1: demons coming up from a, a a well that's under the house. But that. it is
0: satanic panic because it's all started because of True. the record. True. So, so here's the thing. But that said, there is a dead workman yes. in the walls. in the
1: walls. Now, so there, here's the thing. It's got a lot of poltergeisty stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is, I guess, where I'm going with this, is that I feel like the influence was more uh, aesthetic and overall. So I feel like the, the Nightmare on Elm Street movies are kind of poltergeisty because anything can happen. And you have, like, the floor will Suddenly burst open and these big things will. It's, that's very poltergeist. Yeah, the
0: whole the suburban you know, horror. The Evil Dead
1: Two and and the La Casa movies and you know that stuff. I mean, like I feel like it with Hellraiser. You know, you Hellraiser. look at Hellraiser is a little poltergeist. Thing. I've been
0: examining Hellraiser a lot lately and how contained it is and yes. how if you. I mean, we think about Hellraiser as a mythos and it's demons and they're coming and they can find you anywhere and the chains come and then hell and all the walls fly away. Explorers
1: in the outer reaches. Yeah. When you
0: watch the first movie, yeah. 90% 90% of the movie happens inside that house. We have like a yeah. little bit of hospital and then a weird street scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the rest of it is in the house. Yeah. And so it really does feel more like a haunted house movie.
1: <laughs> there was uh, the, the, the bonus feature, one of the documentaries about the Making of Hell retrospective, mm-hmm. they were talking about how New World was very nervous about the movie and they sent Tony Randall uh, to go check it out because there had been a regime change while they were in mid-production of Hellraiser and they were actually thinking about shutting it down. And one of the reasons they were thinking about shutting it down was because the dailies were coming to them and the executives at New World were saying, is this just Staircase the movie? Because all I see are people walking up and down and having conversations on staircases. And if you watch it's the movie, true. it's wild how they keep going. It's, they're bringing the mattress up the staircase. They're having arguments in the staircase. They're having love scenes in the staircase. They're having knife fights on the staircase. Um, and so they were very worried that somehow Cl- this, this Clive Barker person was off shooting Staircase, the movie, and they needed to go and stop him. And then Tony Randall came and saw what they were working on. And he's like, oh, no, guys, this is special. This is something we need to, like, foster and take care of. And this is going to be big. Um, But I feel like there's a lot of poltergeist in there. And I I feel like there's a lot of poltergeist. But the thing is, is like I said, it's not overt. It's not then. But then as you get later, then you start to see as people that grew up watching Poltergeist and The Shining and The Changeling and these other movies.
0: Then we see a big then return. Then you see, yeah. And I think that yeah. that, I mean, our second... Late 90s. Yeah, what I will call our second big wave of yes. kind of haunted house films. I'll say almost post-paranormal activity. Yep. Um. And, and that might be pushing it a little bit later. But you've got things like, like The like Others, and, the what others yeah, and, and What Lies Beneath. The Others, yeah, and What Lies Beneath. There's we get poltergeisty stuff in there. Right before there. Mm-hmm. um even like the Devil's Backbone, which was international, but I definitely right. think that that has like oh, you yeah. know you can feel some influence. Uh,
1: session nine, session nine, very is a great
0: example, yep. very shining. Yeah. Yep. Um. So we start seeing these come back late 90s, and mm-hmm. I think that Paranormal Activity really kind of hit it, and then we see totally. this massive boom, which was definitely pushed by Blumhouse, where we see yep. Insidious and Sinister, and yep. then we see a lot of them even start coming out on the smaller level, where we see things like The Pact yep. and um, stuff like that. Yeah. And so that would be our second big haunted house boom but this is definitely the first one
1: yeah and i feel like paranormal and the thai west stuff the house of the mm-hmm. devil and the, the innkeepers the and those movies the witch even if you started getting like super modern all the way up to now uh hereditary and insidious and the conjuring they are looking more and more at things like burnt offerings and the changeling more so than the shining or poltergeist yeah Uh, I see more in in James Wan stuff and I this is with respect because I think that he does it extremely well Mm -hmm. like if you can if Guillermo uh, del Toro and James Wan can take what Dan Curtis did in Burnt Offerings or what Peter Medic did in The Changeling and improve on it it's great then it's great yeah so, this is not a dismissal, and also, you know, I'm not dismissing the the interplay with the movies and the fact that they have all these weird similarities. I just think it's weird it's wonderful and though. wonderful and great. It's
0: wonderful that when we think about you know what's scary yeah. um that two people who are making major, major, very successful, very right. um very great uh well done movies would say body out of bathtub right or right. um you know. Red ball down hallway. Right, or
1: when is dad going yeah, to kill us with an axe? Yeah, when's <laughs> dad going <laughs> to kill us with an axe? That's the first
0: thing that comes to mind.
1: Because you see that, too. I mean, was it Darkness is the one with uh, mm-hmm. Anna Paquin, and dad starts going away? Is it, is it dad or is it mom? That's the thing is, like, they always tend to switch it up. You yeah, would see which, the haunted house movies where it's like, oh, is mom the threat or is dad is the threat? is it always
0: an axe? I mean, I guess I an know. axe is... Um, it's just a
1: really threatening... Device. I wonder if that
0: goes back to like a Lizzie Borden thing where it's like, you I don't know. know, it's
1: interesting because when you get to Amityville, it's like, well, the, the, the it's a shotgun initially, like mm-hmm. the, That's the, what DeFeo, the DeFeo used, you know, the yeah, he, he went through with it with a gun and shot everybody. And so why it's suddenly an axe, and it's, again, I think it's just access, it's what was there. I get the axe. And Jack has the the fire axe. Yeah, the
0: fire axe. I get the axe aesthetically, because it requires a lot of force to do, Right. it's nothing, it's not like we were struggling and I accidentally stabbed you, you really have to fucking mean to hit somebody in the head with an axe. Right. There's a lot of anger behind it, it's a much larger object, it looks more menacing. Yep. Um, So I get why it is aesthetically, but yeah, I love that it kind of pops up in all of these movie simultaneously yeah. dad with an axe, right?
1: yeah 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 when is he gonna kill us with right. next?
0: Um, but anyways thank you so much for helping you're us uh, walk through this little this little section of haunted house films you're welcome and um, please tune in next week find us on socials we are under Nightmare University on Facebook Instagram and Twitter and thank you so much to our guest Jared Rivett where can we find you uh,
1: I'm at Jared Rivett 1 on Twitter and I write uh, and produce and uh, directs and act in uh, episodes of Earbud Theater, which is an audio drama for um, uh, you know scary radio shows for the internet uh, at earbudtheater.com and that's T-E-R not T-R-E on the theater. And uh, I was also a staff writer on the upcoming uh, revival of Are You Afraid of the Dark for mm-hmm. Nickelodeon. That should be out in the fall.
0: Hey, thank you so much. We'll see you next week. All right. How to wake the dead, you've heard the call. You think you're an undead superstar, man, you think you know it all. Well, you don't know nothing, punk. Talking that same cadaver junk, let me show you.
1: Nightmare University is a Fangoria Podcast Network original produced and hosted by Rebecca McKendry, producer Natasha Passetta, executive producers Dallas Sonier and Phil Nobile Jr., associate producer Jessica Safavimer, art and design by Ashley Detmering, sound recording, design, and mixing by David McKendry, music by The Serpentines, for Fangoria, Brandon Winerdi, Jason Koslerich, and Rachel Wilson.